Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today's guest has a long history with tennis and sports media. Currently, he is the CEO of World Team Tennis, which is a position he took at the beginning of 2019. In this role, he continues to implement new changes and grow the format and make it an amazing experience for both players and spectators. Before teaming up with World Team Tennis, he served as league president for the Professional Fighters League, CEO of the World Series of Fighting, and helped create the first MMA league format. He has a rich history of launching, operating, and overseeing massive growth in sports entertainment and is a digital leader in sports media. Welcome to Talk Tennis, Carlos Silva. Wow. Thank you, Michelle. That's that's a great introduction. You should be my agent. That would be really great. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. I love love when people have massive bios and have accomplished so much in their lives. So thanks. And first things first, I just wanted to hear how you got started in tennis. Across the street from my house was uh, an ex Davis Cupper from Columbia, South America, and he had a court in his backyard. And I literally spent all of my moments across the street from my house on that clay court with Gus Castillo when since I was like eight years old. So uh, I just started playing and playing and playing and loved it. That's so cool. And you stuck with it and you played college and you played a bit of pro tennis too, correct? Yeah, I, I, I gave a summer on the satellite tour a try and earned a little, very little bit of money, but that's okay. At least, <laughs> I, can say, at least I can say I earned a pro paycheck and college tennis was great. I had a great time at Boston College playing for four years. That's awesome. Now, something that I noticed was you didn't go straight into tennis, but you've done a lot of things outside the tennis industry and you found yourself back in the tennis industry. So what did you want to be when you grew Grew up and how does that look and how is that compared with what you're doing right now? Well, I, I, I mean, I wanted to be a tennis player. I mean, nice. for sure. That's yeah. really what I wanted to be. And, you know, I had no doubt that I would be. And, you know, I guess I was for a minute, but, you know, a minute is a minute. And then I went on and I got a master's degree and I got my master's degree in, in computer graphics and design uh, and computer engineering. And I just kind of started down a design path that led me into a lot of different places. But uh, we were fortunate enough to sell an early interactive television company to AOL back in 1998. And, okay. you know, kind of just this path just kind of continued of all the things that I had done. And and then sports and media came together. Because uh, if you're doing innovative things, often news and sports are the two areas that try new things out. And so I ended up running both news and sports at AOL. We were Uh, you know, sort of the heyday of AOL. We were a big sponsor of the NFL, a big sponsor of the NBA. Uh, Turned out we were a big sponsor of the US Open. So we did a lot of very innovative things with the US Open. We we streamed the practice courts. I remember, I think it was either 03 or 04. And we were streaming the practice courts before anyone was thinking about that kind of stuff. Nice. So it was a long time ago. It was pretty cool. We got a lot of traffic. It was exclusive to AOL members. You know, we were a big sponsor, just like you see the sponsors now. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're up at the open. And so that was kind of the beginning of me working with the USTA and doing some innovative stuff in, in sports and media. And then I, I went on to launch a you know, television network that everyone probably knows it now as the Olympic Channel. And it was called Universal Sports before it was called the Olympic Channel. And so all of the sort of things I've done, you know, kind of all came together. And then I got an opportunity to sort of put those 25 years of experience in sports and media and launching cable networks and 
running sports organizations and running leagues and put it towards tennis with World Team Tennis. And the new owners, I, I got to know them well. And I happen to know one of the the principals inside of the group since I was in high school. In fact, we played high school tennis together, which is really oh. a crazy, a crazy small world. Um, yeah. his, his name's John Corn, and he's the CEO of, of N4FL, which is the, the capital equity company that owns World Team Tennis. And so, yeah, I got a great opportunity to come in and spend a little time with Billie Jean and Alana. And I think hopefully have created a good transition into a you know new executive team. And, you know, we continue to build World Team Tennis. It's exciting. It's really exciting. And it's so cool that you kind of ended up back in tennis. And obviously, you're passionate about that as well. Now, can you explain exactly what World Team Tennis is? I know a lot of us know of it, but or maybe aren't as familiar with what exactly the format is and all that. Sure, sure. And yeah, it's, I think it's a little easier if you're maybe in one of the cities where mm-hmm. our teams are. I, I happen to be in Washington, D.C. So I've been a around world team tennis as a sports executive too, just knowing the Washington castles for years and years. So world team tennis is a league that's been around for 40 plus years. It was co-founded by Billie Jean King uh, back in the day. It currently has eight teams. Okay. Those teams, if you kind of go down the, the, the East coast are New York, Philly, DC, and Orlando. And then if you start to go West into the Midwest with Springfield, Missouri, then you keep going West to Las Vegas, Nevada. Then you keep going west to Orange County and then down to San Diego are our current eight teams. Okay. We expanded by two teams in 2019. So uh, the Vegas Rollers and the Orlando Storm were the seventh and eighth team, and they joined in 2019, uh, which was really great because what it did by bringing eight teams into the league, it also created a postseason. And so the postseason is exactly what you'd expect. The top four teams make the postseason, and the number one seed plays the four seed. The number two seed plays the three seed in the semifinals, and then they advance to the finals to win the King Trophy. Uh, The way World Team Tennis works is uh, each team has at least four players. Sometimes they have more. It's both men and women. And a match consists of five sets, men's singles, women's singles, men's doubles, women's doubles, and mixed doubles. Okay. The The home coach decides the order of the format. And so the home coach, for whatever reason, may feel like they should start with women's doubles, followed by men's singles, whatever their lineup is that gives them the best chance to win. Okay. Each of the sets is a five-game pro set, and they play no-ad scoring. So it's very quick. If you're playing singles and you get down a break, you really got to get your act together quickly because (laughs) you could could lose that set with the first one to five games, and certainly no-ad scoring creates some tension as well. The thing that's interesting, though, about a match, it consists of all five of those sets and it's cumulative scoring. So you get you get points for the games that you win in the set, even if you're not the first one to five games. Okay, that cumulative scoring continues all the way into the fifth set and generally provides either of the teams an opportunity to still win the match because they can pull out a win in the fifth set by um, by tying the match up and then maybe playing a super tiebreaker. And so, um, so it's super exciting. It, it always seems to go down to the end. I mean, every now and then there's a blowout, but generally if you keep the set close five to two or five to three, it'll give you a chance to maybe win the next set, you know, five to two or five to three and, and even right. the match up. So it's exciting and, and fast paced. Uh, a match usually takes about two and a half hours. And I think for the fans, what was new in 2019 is we also had a number of broadcast partners so that more people in the cities that you're not in could also watch. And so we added 
a great partnership with CBS Sports. Cool. And so um, 17 of our matches were on CBS Sports and on Broadcast CBS. And then the rest of our matches were on ESPN Plus, another partner of ours. It was really great. And so you could uh, you could watch them all live, all 59 matches here in the U.S. live. But if you also lived around the world, you could also watch live around the world on Daily Motion, oh, nice. as well as some other broadcast partners in both China and in South America. So we continue to expand. I think we're going to continue to expand more in the rest of the world outside of the U.S. with some new broadcast partners. And then um, super excited to continue with CBS and possibly ESPN as well in 2020. Cool. And talk about the season for World Team Tennis. Sure. What time of the year? Yeah. So uh, the season starts on the Sunday of Wimbledon. Okay. Uh, so in 2020, that'll start on July 12th. And the season is really just three weeks long. We're sort of the longest tournament on the calendar. And the finals will be on August 2nd. Nice. And so it's it's very quick. Each of the teams play 14 regular season matchups. Okay. So they go, they travel around the nation to all of our eight teams, and they play 14 matches, seven at home and seven away. And then based on that regular season, as I mentioned, the top four teams with the record at the end of those uh, 14 matches will advance to the semifinals. And the semifinals is one match, you know, win or go home. And the finals is one match, win or go home to win the King Trophy. That's so cool. And talk about how the players get recruited to these teams. Is it the coaching? Are they picking their players? How do you create these equal teams and different personalities and all that? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, generally every player, you know, with such a crazy schedule with the ATP and the, and the WTA, there's sort of a set of core players that would play the whole season, but then there's also some marquee players that come in and drop in okay. and might play three matches, five matches, eight matches. In 2019, we had a spectacular lineup from John Isner, Taylor Fritz, Taylor Townsend, Francis Tiafo, Victoria Azarenka, Venus Williams, Monica Puig, Madison Keys, <laughs> Sloane Stevens, Sam Query, Feliciano Lopez. I mean, the list... The list kind of goes on and on, and yeah. we're super, super excited to have so many great players play in World Team Tennis. They've played that way for so many years, but I think we really had a great lineup in 2019. I think 2020 is going to even be more exciting because we're uh, changing a few rules in terms of how we draft the players. Okay, It's going to provide each of the teams even more opportunity to go out and get big players. Each of the teams will protect the players that they had from last year okay. because certainly, um, you know, someone like Taylor Fritz, who played for the Aviators, the Aviators have that protection and will go and get Taylor to come back for their team in 2020, uh, just as one example. But then as new players become available, each of the teams have until December 1st of this year to go and try and sign up new players oh, okay. and put their bids in with the league to secure those players for 2020. So we're sort of in the mix of it right now. It's yeah. pretty exciting. And uh, I think 2020 will be an even bigger year. Uh, we also are going to be expanding to nine and 10 teams nice. in 2020 to continue to grow, uh, to grow the league into, into more cities uh, here in the U.S. And then eventually look to Europe and South America probably for some teams as well, maybe starting in 2021. That's so cool. That was actually one of my questions. If we could expand internationally, what would that look like? So it sounds like it's coming. It's coming. I think, you know, logistically with the three-week schedule, there's some logistics that you just have to work right. on. But I think if we expand into Europe or into Asia, we would probably expand as a group and put four teams there. And those four teams would play each other for the regular season. And then the top team would advance sort of as a Champions Cup 
advance to the semifinals. Okay. And that way, logistically, because it just in such a short season, the teams are playing nearly every night uh, or every other night. It would be tough for, say, um, you know, a California team to get to London. Right. And then get back. And so I think. I think we're working through some of the operational things as we think about that in 2021. That's really cool. And tell me a little bit about the coaching staff. You've got some really cool coaches that are in charge of world team tennis and assistant coaches. I don't even know if they're called assistant coaches, but I just remember seeing Red Foo out there in Vegas. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it was, it was a Red Foo was an interesting ad. Uh, he loves tennis. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you know, he really wanted to play on the team and I had to tell Foo, <laughs> that we love you, but this is, you know, the top professionals in the world, but he, he loved it so much. He became an assistant to Tim Blankeron. Tim is also, you know, an NCAA doubles champion, a really a a great guy, great player. And Fu, uh, Fu assisted Tim uh, on the Vegas rollers. You know, we had John Lloyd, a champion in his own right, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the aviators, you know, uh, Luke Jensen in, uh, in New York, also really great. Murphy Jensen, his brother in, in DC, and, you know, JL in Springfield won a second championship. So it was, you know, great for him and, you know, really a great lineup. And so uh, the coaches are a big part of it. They, they've got to really be smart and strategic about how they create their lineups to try and get their wins and also how they're going to c- recruit players. Cause I think the coaches are going to be even more critical in 2020 as they recruit players, as we sort of come out of that, that sort of random draft format that we've had so much, but now we've turned it sort of back to the teams to try and go do their own recruiting I think the power of the coaches will really shine through in 2020. Definitely. Now talk a little bit about the team camaraderie. I think sometimes we tell people, oh yeah, the players have so much fun, but do you have any fun stories you can share about some of the players just really interacting with each other or becoming really good friends or becoming doubles partners or hitting partners or anything like that? Well, you know, it it just happens across the board. I mean, maybe we just don't see it very often. I mean, you certainly saw it at like Labor Cup Mm -hmm. this year, but you don't see it that often because, you know, the players, as you know, it, it can be a lonely out there. Yeah. And um and a lot of the players don't get a chance to play doubles that often because the stakes are so high on the single side. And so, you know, for me just seeing, you know, seeing Venus Williams who's such a great champion just having so much fun and high-fiving and like running over to the bench and high-fiving her teammates. Yeah. You know, Nick Kyrgios was another one. We also mic many of the players during the matches as part of our CBS and ESPN broadcast, which was really cool. You got to a little insight into the coaches and the doubles and turns out that Nick Kyrgios was miked for his match when he was in DC playing for the castles and they came very tense getting down to the fifth set. And it, it really came down to Nick to try and win the match. And, and he sort of grabbed me and, and said, you know, Carlos, is it okay if I take my mic off for the, for the singles match? And I was like, you know, why it's, you know, we'd like to hear, he's like, I'm just nervous. I'm nervous <laughs> and I, it's different. And I want to really, really win. I really want to win the match. And, <laughs> and it was just really great to see because, you know, these guys and gals, they, they work so hard. You see them on the tour, the pressure is there, but then you see them having so much fun, but yet really wanting to win not, and not so much just for themselves, but for their teammates. And when they get the win, they all celebrate together. So it, it is, uh, it is really great. It, you know, it reminds me of, you know, the great college tennis, but you know, with the top players in the world, which is really outstanding. Yeah, I agree. It's cool to see them let their guard down and just kind of have a good time and be, be normal humans as well. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. Now you mentioned uh, Billie Jean King is part owner of World Team Tennis. How involved is she and what's it like working with her? Well, you know, Billie Jean has got lots of energy and lots of ideas always. And the thing about Billie Jean is you understand when you get to know her a little bit why, you know, she is what she is because she's always pushing. She's always enthusiastic. She's always full of energy. Nice. You know, when she's at a freedoms match, I mean, she's like pacing around and, and like <laughs> nervous and, and just wants to make sure, you know, she gets a win, you know, Craig Carden, who's a you know great coach at the Philadelphia freedoms. I was with him a couple of times and he's like getting massive texts from Billy Jean about all these things and what he needs to do. And she's always trying to help and she's always coming up with, with ideas. And so I, you know, we'll, we'll continue to carry, you know, that energy forward. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of energy. I think, uh, you know, I certainly know that she knows that. And she's told me that, you know, she likes that about me. And I hope I can bring the same energy that she has brought to this, you know, along with Alana, who had been the commissioner here for so long. And so, you know, I, I want to make sure I keep bringing that energy to World Team Tennis. Definitely. Now, you've mentioned some things already, but what are your goals for World Team Tennis? Big term, short term, all of them. If it's the way that you want it to go, what does that look like? You know, I think first and foremost, with the new ownership with Fred Luddy and Eric Davidson, you know, owning the league too, you know, Fred and Eric have both told me, let's make sure we create a great product. And so the first thing is to really create a great product. And that mm -hmm. starts with how the, the arenas look, how much fun the fans have. They obviously want to see great tennis. They want to see some of the top players in the world. And they don't only want to see it in the arena, but they also want to be able to watch it on television as well. Right. Um, and I use the word television sort of loosely. They want to be able to watch it. I mean, right. whatever, whatever television means in today's world, it could be, you know, on a broadcast network. It could be, you know, live streaming. It could be, you know, on your Roku box. It could be anyway. And that's really what we started in 2019. And I think we've got to continue doing that. This is a little bit of a restart. It's been around for a long time. And so mm -hmm. like any restart, it's a little bit of a startup. And so startups take a little time. I think everyone understands that over the next three to five years, we'll continue to add features and create new features for the product, bring in great players, create more audience and more opportunities so more people can see it. And it's really as simple as that, because if you do that, then your sponsorship will come around and they'll want to be involved. They'll want to be associated with it. And then your broadcast partners will like it more and the engine continues to grow. And then players will say, wait a minute, why can't I get into world team tennis? Right. We saw it a little bit this year, even adding CBS and ESPN. So many of the players would oh, when am I on CBS? You know, when am I going to be on ESPN <laughs> plus? Because as you know, if you're playing in a 250 or a 500 event, you know, you're not always on television and you don't always get that exposure for your sponsors, for your family, for yourself. And the nice thing about a world team tennis match is every single one of our matches, every player was on. They were, yeah. produ they were produced. You could watch them on CBS. You could watch them on ESPN. Didn't matter if you're playing mixed, doubles, singles you know, men's, women's, they were all, all five matches were always on. And so each of those players knew that they were on the bench, they'd come off the bench and they'd be able to say, hey, mom, or hey, dad, you know, or hey, brother, hey, sister, you can watch me. And I think we'll continue to grow that because that's how we create a bigger fan base. For sure. That's a really good point. I realized that there are a lot of players that are playing world team tennis that don't have as much exposure as some of the bigger players. So it is also another really cool thing that you guys are offering this exposure. They're starting to build a fan base. People are realizing these players have great personality and they're great tennis players. And they're kind of taking that with them into their career, which is awesome. That's so cool. 
all. It, it really is. And then there's also that opportunity when, you know, I mentioned so many top names. Yeah. But, you know, there's also these great opportunities. Like I remember this season when Taylor Townsend was playing Venus in Philadelphia. I happened to be there for, I think it was one of our CBS matches. And, you know, you saw like how hard Venus was working and how hard Taylor was working to try and get that a couple of extra games for Mm -hmm. their team. You know, and then you see what happens later the summer at the U.S. Open with Taylor going deep at the U.S. Open. And it's like, you know, it was sort of a a little bit of a proud moment for me as, you know, a guy that's now running World Team Tennis to sort of see you know, maybe that sparkle happened, you know, with the freedoms at Philadelphia and it helped Taylor to give her a little bit extra confidence because she battled Venus so well on that night. And so I think we'll see more of that. And I think that's really what world team tennis is about. It's not just about the stars. It's about tennis in general and being on a team and gaining confidence and playing singles and playing doubles and serve and volleying and staying back and all of those things that then hopefully will help them as they progress, you know, on the tour for the next, you know, 10 months and then come back and do it again for world team tennis. Yeah, definitely. Now, what has been the most challenging part of this position for you? You're still relatively new into it. Um, You're making big changes. You've done a lot already and 2020 sounds like it's going to be loaded, but talk about overcoming some of the issues or challenges that you faced. I think the good news is world team tennis has been around for four 40 plus years. Yeah. And the bad news is world team tennis has been around (laughs) for 40 plus years. And so I, you know, you do run into a lot of people that are like, I remember when, or I was, it happened to me actually on Sunday, I was at a party and a lady came up to me and said, I hear you're, you know, you're in the tennis business. And I told her that I run world team tennis. And she's like, Oh, I was a ball kid (laughs) for the New York sets in the seventies. Nice. And that was really cool. But then she also said, you know, what's going on now? And she, you know, she didn't really know yeah. because I, I think over the last maybe five or eight years, there hasn't been as much exposure as there should be. Right. It's so good. And the players are so great. And the format is so perfectly wonderful yeah. that we need to have everyone see it. And so, you know, my biggest challenge is just to continue to build that audience and, and have more people see it. And that just takes a little time. I know CBS and ESPN were both very excited and, and super happy to have us on their platforms. But, you know, they've got a lot of sports on their platforms. Right. We were just a moment in time during that summer moment that we could shine. But then they go off and, you know, do March Madness and the Masters and the U.S. Open and, mm-hmm. the, you know, all of their other great events that we get put on the shelf. And so it's it's how do we continue over the next 10, 11 months to continue to make noise around why world team tennis is so great. And that's really our biggest challenge. It's my biggest challenge. Nice. Something to work towards. <laughs> now, if you could take one part of world team tennis and implement it into the WTA and ATP, what would it be? I've been a little vocal about this because there's been a lot of chatter about coaching, for mm-hmm. instance. And, you know, I've seen what everyone's been saying. And I've been in the middle of a couple of Twitter conversations, whether, you know, it was John Wertheim or, or Brad Gilbert or others. Yeah. And I think World Team Tennis has already done a lot, you know, adding music. I think music is out there on the tour because of what World Team Tennis did. Mm-hmm. You know, we have music all the time. Maybe they'll have music more as well. I go to a big tour event now and it feels awfully quiet to me. And I think that's just because world team tennis is so exciting in between the points as well. I think coaching should be added. 
I don't think it hurts the authentic nature of the game. You know, I mean, we saw it the other day when I think it was Darren Cahill came out and helped Simona Halep. Then she was down a match point and turned around. Like, look, I mean, it was great that she had a coach. He didn't win the match point for her, though. She did. She saved the match point. So, I mean, did he give her a little bit of confidence? Did he tell her something? Sure. Hopefully. I don't think that hurts anyone. And I also don't think that there's a discrepancy between good coaches and bad coaches in terms of money. I mean, it may turn out that your best coach is your mother. Yeah. And so just because there's a high profile coach that maybe gets paid a lot of money, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better for that person. So I I think that's something. I mean, certainly the shot clock, I think, came about because of World Team Tennis as well. I think it's obviously a great feature. You know, we're using Hawkeye 100% exclusively. Okay. We have no lines people. So when Hawkeye makes a call, Hawkeye makes a call. By the way, Hawkeye is way better than any of our eyes (laughs) to make a call. And I don't really understand why Hawkeye isn't being used 100%. I mean, you could say the same thing about the World Series the other night. I mean, the pitch is the pitch. And uh, there was a lot of controversial pitches that were outside the strike zone. And maybe baseball should think about, you know, going to the strike zone, Hawkeye, whatever. I'm not sure exactly what it's called to to make the calls. And it's okay. It's just, it's it's how sport evolves and changes and continues to grow. So, you know, look, I'm about you know, innovation and and how you continue to grow. So we'll keep doing it in World Team Tennis. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's coming where Next Gen just started and they're not using line judges either and all the Hawkeye so, and lots of coaching. So we'll see what happens in the future. Um, I was going to shift a little bit. I did a little research on you. You have one set of twin daughters and you are an endurance athlete who has competed and completed many Ironman and marathons. So I wanted to ask where your love for endurance sports came from when you got into that How do you balance your family and running these insane races and then still just continue to implement new changes and uh, keep world team tennis going? That's great. Well, probably the best question so far. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I have two great identical twin daughters, Gabriella and Sabrina, and they're both graduated from college now and have great jobs and are doing really well. So that's sort of the best accomplishment for me, even though my wife really got most of that done and I just get a little bit of the benefit. So that's really (laughs) fabulous. And and they're amazing. You know, in terms of endurance, it's, you know, I guess training was always as a tennis player and playing a lot of sports, running and biking were always part of my training yeah. regimen. And I did a lot of running as a kid. And I can probably say I never lost a match because I was tired. You know, I lost matches maybe because I was stupid, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't lose a match because I was tired. And so that's probably the core of it. You know, I went to Boston College. I sat on the top of Heartbreak Hill and watched the Boston Marathon for four years and had a couple of beers while I was watching the Boston Marathon with my buddies. And uh, and so I, I had always wanted to run the Boston Marathon. And I got the opportunity to become the broadcast partner for the Boston Marathon back at Universal Sports and, oh, cool. and wanted to get into the Boston Marathon. And I was able to. And uh, so I, the first marathon I ever ran was Boston. And that was, you know, a super treat. And uh, you know, I, I kind of bared down and wanted to make sure I could qualify for Boston. So I kept doing it and I ran a qualifying time. And then I went back to Boston as a qualifier, which was cool. And and then, you know, the same thing happened with Ironman. We ended up becoming the um, the broadcast partner for Ironman. And as part of the deal, I was able to get into 
the Kona World Championships. And so strangely enough, my very first Ironman that I ever did was in Kona. And so I I don't know too many people that can say that their first (laughs) marathon was Boston and their first Ironman was Kona. (laughs) And I'm sort of lucky that that was able to happen. And I just kind of kept going. And so about a month ago, I just finished my 10th Ironman uh, here in Maryland. And I'll try to do one a year if I can. And so it's really just about staying in shape and, you know, doing a little training every day and kind of just living that lifestyle so that I don't really ever have to train. Yeah. And um, it keeps me sane. I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, I get through a lot of conversations with myself when I'm training in the morning and it really helps me the rest of the day to, to keep world team tennis on track. A hundred percent. I feel like a lot of tennis players somehow uh, end up going into endurance sports after they're done with their tennis. And it just kind of helps the mental side and the athletic side. And we like that grind and the work. So that's really cool. Um, just a few quick questions to wrap it up. Are you still playing a lot of tennis? Yeah, a couple times a week, I'd say. What's your current gear? Well, you know, Wilson is a big sponsor of ours. So they sent me over a, a bunch of clash rackets. And nice. so I'm playing with those and um, they're fine. I like them a lot. I mean, they give, give you a little pop that you wouldn't otherwise get now yeah. that I'm now that I'm older and it's, you know, a little harder to, you know, hit serves big and, and all those things. So they've been a great partner and it's, it's nice to have a, you know, a couple of bags and, you know, rackets. And then, uh, you know, that's really it. Usually I'm wearing world team tennis clothing. So, nice. <laughs> uh, you know, just try to represent and keep the brand going. Cool. Who's your favorite player at the moment? That's ah, a, a hard question. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard question. I mean, there's so many, there's so many that, uh, I don't know that I have a favorite player. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to to talk about Federer and Rafa and Djokovic and how great they are, but they just see how big the game is now. And, you know, you see how big Kyrgios's game is or, you know, or Taylor Fritz's game and, you know, how, you know, Francis Tiafo just grinds it out and then just has a huge forehand. And so, you know, on the men's side, you know, it's any of those players, but there's so many. I mean, um, there's, you know, Fonini is amazing. And mm. I got to see him down in Mexico earlier this year and just his swagger is is outstanding. <laughs> and I just, I love, I love everything about it. And on the female side, I mean, I I just was really intrigued by Taylor Townsend this year. I just, I loved everything she did. I loved how she attacked. I love that she came into the net so much. I, I never met a volley that I didn't like. And, (laughs) and, um, and so I just, you know, I love that she was just chipping and charging at every moment. And I just think tennis needs way more of that. I think people are just staying back and banging you know, with big carbon fiber rackets. And you know, I love to see people attack. And I also got to know Madison a little bit and didn't really know her that well, but just her game is so big too. And, uh, you know, seeing like what she did in the US Open Series winning yeah. and then heading, you know, so that was, that was really great too. And, you know, I love to watch Simona Halep grind it out too. She's amazing. But yeah, just to, just to mention a few, but you know, yeah. and then you've always got Serena and Venus that are just like the great champions. I mean, it's amazing that they're still winning the way they are. Yeah, no, I think tennis is healthy. The US Open was great this year. Wimbledon was great. You know, Paris was great. Probably be in Australia talking to players in a couple months. Yeah. And um, I just think, you know, if you see the grounds and you see how, exciting everyone is to see what these athletes are doing. I think, you know, tennis is in great shape. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're going into this interesting time where social media is strong and people, their personalities are showing and it's doing great things for tennis. So that's awesome. One more question. Any advice or your life slogan or even your catchphrase or anything, any advice to someone that's looking to follow a similar path to you? You know, it it really kind of comes back to just 
you know, working hard. Yeah. My dad uh, was a doctor and, you know, he would wake up and he'd be walking the hospital and operating at 6.30 a.m. every day and not home till midnight if he had an emergency and never complained. He loved his job and he just worked hard. You know, my tennis coach, Gus Castillo, you know, mm-hmm. he, you know, he was the other guy that was always up every morning. He was on the court teaching a lesson at 6.30 every morning and nice. till, till dark. And And I just think there's something to be said about, you know, you work hard and you keep a good attitude. And if your boss asks you to do something, you say yes right away and you go do it. And it makes a difference, you know, and you do it over and over and over again every year. I think you'll probably have success, whatever success means to you. But if you do that, I think it will. And that's what I try to do. And, you know, I try to do it in my races. I want to finish a race, even if I'm a little slower or faster. It's about getting it done. And the same is true with work. You just you go and you work hard, you have fun and, and you get it done. That's sort of how I've always operated. And I think it would serve most people well. Definitely. Good advice for sure. Now, where's the best place that people can keep up with World Team Tennis and how can they keep up with you? The best place is, you know, probably on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly you can go to WTT.com. But I think, you know, what we're doing on Instagram and Twitter is is probably more real time and a lot more stories that the social team and the digital team here at World Team Tennis, I think they do a great job following the players and what's going on. And, and, you know, you'll see a lot more things happening now with players coming and going and getting signed up on teams, even in the next 30 days. Uh, So stay tuned. There's also going to be an announcement coming out in the next couple of weeks that we're going to add an event in February. It's going to be an exciting event. I'll just leave that as a little teaser. Uh, It's going to be out on the West coast. Oh, And so, uh, you know, keep your eyes on our social feeds for that announcement. And I think that's probably the best way to keep up with us. It, It happens every day. There's some news in World Team Tennis happening every day. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Carlos. We're so excited for 2020 and what World Team Tennis will bring us next year. Thank you. Great talking to you. Talk to you soon. Awesome. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Talk Tennis episode. Do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you'd like to let us know who you'd like to hear from next or what questions we can answer for you on one of our future episodes, let us know in the comments or reach out to us on email at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. And until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.